You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All righty, here we go again. It's Monday, and uh, Mondays typically suck, so hopefully this podcast can make your Monday suck just a little bit less. I don't know how your guys' weekend went, but uh, I had an awesome no-kids weekend, and what that meant was I dropped my kids off at my mom's house, uh, and my mom and my stepdad were able to watch my kids while the wife and I kind of uh, explored uh, northwestern Illinois, southwestern uh, Wisconsin, northeastern Iowa, and kind of uh, did a whole bunch of different things. She's a big fan of wine, so we were able to go out and uh, do some wine tasting. Now, don't let don't let the wine tasting label fool you. I had a blast as well. Um, I actually enjoy wine, um, so you know a lot of people will, will hear this and go, "God, he sounds like a pussy." because he drinks wine well i'm sorry it's not bush light or budweiser or anything like that which i do enjoy but this weekend we were able to visit some wineries and uh, do some things that my wife actually enjoyed as opposed to turkey hunting or shed hunting or you know going to do something that related in some way shape or form to uh tromping through mud and all that you know the outdoorsy type stuff but uh, we had an absolute blast uh i'm recording this on sunday night so we just got my son to bed and uh i'm not looking forward to going back to work because like i've mentioned earlier mondays really do blow ass now today we are going to be talking to a guy named nate clinging smith and uh he is he lives in Iowa now. He's from Nebraska. No, excuse me. He's from Kansas. And uh, he bounced around the world and uh, the nation working for the United States Marine Corps. 
where he was a Marine and he, you know, did some tours overseas, bounced around, got to come home and hunt every once in a while. But uh, now he settled in Iowa and he bounces back and forth between Kansas and Iowa during the hunting season. And today's Hunter Profile podcast, Nate explains to us about uh, his property in Kansas that he has access to and a really cool public land hunt that he had with three days left in his 2015 bow hunting season. Uh, he was able to harvest a pretty cool deer, but the story that goes along with this is one of those uh, stories where just because a property doesn't look like it holds big bucks doesn't mean that to be the case you know there's always those kind of secret gems where they go overlooked or other pieces of property get pressured and all the deer pile into a different piece and he kind of got uh, lucky with a piece of public ground that uh, he believes a lot of people overlook so we have a really good hunter profile podcast today but before we get into today's podcast Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras explains the importance of SD cards and batteries. Good question. So we talk a lot about this, but, uh, you know, memory cards and batteries are something that I think are holding a lot of cameras back. And I'd hate to say it, but I think a lot of people that have a bad experience with $100 or so cameras may have had a bad experience with their batteries. Um, Cards, maybe not so important. There was a time of day when cards would give people fits in different cameras. Um, I think most cameras on the market today are smart enough that they can recognize different cards. We recommend a class four or six card um, if you're running HD video or just photos. Um, that should suffice for most cameras on the market. But batteries are where things can really get out of control. I actually just wrote a big blog post on this. Maybe we can include in the show notes. But what happens is alkaline batteries are just not made well with trail cameras. They're not made to work well with trail cameras. As they die, their voltage goes down, and that causes trail cameras to have problems. It causes your flash to have problems, your flash distance, your trigger speed, your trigger distance. All of these things are affected by alkaline batteries as they start to die. And most people think that's towards the end of their life cycle, but it actually starts about a quarter of the way into the life cycle of alkaline batteries. Um, lithium batteries all the way. We talk about that a lot. Lithium batteries will get you the most, not only out of your Exodus lift cams, but all of your trail cameras that you have on the market. I strongly suggest you guys go and visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com to find out more about the Exodus trail cameras. I'm telling you right now, they're a badass trail camera. And before we get into this Hunter Profile podcast, uh, just a friendly reminder that the drawing for the free Bowtech bow, I'm going to do it and make an announcement on Wednesday of this week. And I believe that is the, looking on my calendar now, the 29th. So the 29th of June, which is this Wednesday, I'm going to be making announcement uh, to tell the world the winner of the free Bowtech bow. Now, if you guys, if this is the first that you've heard about it, you still have some time. You still have a couple days to go and listen to the Bowtech podcast. Go find that. You can find it on social media. And there's a list of instructions of things that you have to do in order to be entered in. And um, one of them is to go find out more information, like and share some uh 
some uh, information on 2% for conservation. And uh, I explain all that in the podcast. So make sure you go and listen to that. This is your last chance to be entered for that free Bowtech bow. And uh, other than that, I think we're ready to start this week's Hunter Profile podcast with Nate Klingsmith. All right. On the phone with me now, another Iowa. Well, now he's an Iowan. Uh, he wasn't always an Iowan, but we're proud to have him. Nate K- Kling. Okay. <laughs> I knew I was going to have trouble with this. Nate That's all right. Everybody, everybody Smith. You got it. Okay, good, good, good. How, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? Doing great. I'm great. Uh, I get to talk about deer hunting, so that's always a good thing. Um, so, like I mentioned, you you are now an Iowan, but you always weren't an Iowan. Why don't you tell us about where you where you grew up and kind of everything until this point? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, I'm originally from Northeast Kansas, a small town. We have two stoplights. Um, born and raised there. Um, got out of high school. Uh, I had to laugh. I listened to, I think you had a, a guy on from Colby, Kansas, uh, a couple weeks ago or something. Um, I kind of laughed because that's where I went to college. So I, I'm picturing everything he's talking about. Right. But uh, and obviously I was, I was really bad at college. Um, so <laughs> after about my third attempt, I decided it's time to grow up. Um, I joined the Marine Corps and uh, spent 12 years in the Marine Corps traveling around the world, um, doing different things. And uh, made the decision here to uh, to leave after 12 years, and uh, I had a, a Kansas lifetime hunting license, and so I was like, "Hey, why not uh, try to find a job in Des Moines, Iowa, and then I can uh, go ahead and hunt Iowa." So uh, my wife doesn't quite know the reason why we moved back to <laughs> Iowa. Um, I actually met her in Iowa. I uh, spent three years up in northern Iowa as a Marine Corps recruiter. So, you know, I have had a chance to hunt Iowa before. Um, as you know, northern Iowa is a little bit different than, you know, right. central or southern Iowa. Right, right. So you tricked your, basically, you tricked your wife into coming up to Iowa back from Kansas, right? Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, hopefully she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> so, so... Life in the Marine Corps, um, you know, you said that uh, college wasn't necessarily your cup of tea, so you decided to um, join the Marine Corps. That's kind of a big move considering 12, you know, 12 years ago, you, you knew you were going to be going overseas. Um, sure. What, I guess, what made you jump into the Marine Corps and not into like a factory or, or I guess some other type <laughs> of job? Sure. So, um, you know, I remember... Waking up, I think it was one o'clock in the after, you know, afternoon after nine eleven took place. Um, <laughs> so I was living that college life. Right, right. And, and you know, one of my best friends at the time came running into, uh, you know, my apartment, yelling that we're going to war. We're, you need to turn your TV on. Um, and so I turned it on, and I watched what so many Americans watched is, you know, the the planes flying into the trade center. And, and that thought lingered with me for about a year before I took an action um, to do anything. Um, and so after, you know, the school year of 2002, uh, finished that, that May, um, it, it was just time to do some gut checking. Like, what am I doing with my life? You know, it's time to maybe do something a little bit different. Um, always had interest in the military, um, the lifestyle. I'm, I'm an outdoorsman. I love being outdoors. 
Uh, I like shooting. I like doing all those things, you know. Um, so it, it's kind of a natural calling. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I made the decision. And it took about six months to uh, get in and get all the process going and get shipped off to boot camp. But once I got in there, I just fell in love with it. Where did you end up going to boot camp at? I went to uh, California. They like to call us Hollywood Marines. They, they always laugh and they, you know, we got sunglasses issued in boot camp, which we didn't. <laughs> you know, defense, but uh, you know the, the guys that go to South Carolina have to do with a little bit more humidity and and uh, mosquitoes as what we did in uh, San Diego, California. Gotcha. So after boot camp, what happened? After boot camp, um, I ended up getting stationed in Hawaii. So a guy that likes to hunt a lot, um, Hawaii wasn't necessarily the uh, best place in the world to get stationed. Um, I guess I'd take it in and do some, you know, offshore. Uh, fishing for you know hammerheads or whatever really would paint on shrimp um, yeah. there from the, the docks and stuff but you know i spent four years there um you know my uh, second year we ended up going over to uh, afghanistan i spent you know seven months in uh, northern afghanistan um during some some pretty crazy times um you know i during that time i was there i don't know if you've seen the movie or lone survivor or not that took place um, when I was over there with the second battalion, third Marines. Um, but you know, every, you know, all my friends, we all came back, you know, after seven months back to Hawaii, uh, didn't have enough time for any more deployments. And so then I had to decide if I was going to stay or go, um, made the decision that, you know, it's probably best to stay at this point. Um, but I needed to get someplace where at least I can hunt and fish and do the things I wanted to do. And California didn't look real good um, to my type of hunting. I like whitetail. I'm sure they have some good blacktail uh, hunting, but not really, you know, my nothing I really knew about. Right. Uh, right. So I so I chose to go to uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, to Camp Lejeune, um, and uh, was stationed there for about two years, of, of which I was deployed about 18 months of. Um, back and forth to Iraq in 07, 08, and again in 08, 09, it was bang, bang. Um, and then I just decided I needed a break. At that point, I uh, went ahead and put in for recruiting, hoping I could get back to the Midwest because I knew that's where the big deer were. Um, and I ended up getting Iowa, and they told me I was going to Mason City, Iowa. Mason um, City, yep. Mason City, yep. So uh, I had no clue where Mason City, Iowa was at. Um, I went <laughs> you know, to... Even, uh... I went to a school in Forest City, northwest of there, for my first, uh, first two years. Wal- Waldorf, yep. Yeah, Waldorf, sure. sure. Yep. First two years Waldorf of college. A few times. Yeah, yeah. I, I visited there a few times, uh, going up there, and I covered all of North Central Iowa. So I had 22 high schools in that area, um, junior colleges and colleges I would travel around to. Um, I was a little bit busier than I would have really liked to have been, um, so I didn't quite get to hunt the way I would have liked to up there. Um, and I was still hung up on Kansas at the time, I guess, you know, we have some property down there that I can hunt. So a lot of times during the rut, I, I just magically was able to take vacation. My wife doesn't quite understand why we take vacation in November and not during the summer. <laughs> um, so we'd go down there and she would stay with my parents and I would just go out and hunt for, you know, you know, 10 days or so. Right. Um, I, I've had some opportunities during that time to hunt some really nice deer. Um, one I was hunting, I had him at 10 yards, but he was just, he was running by me, chasing a dog. I couldn't get him to stop. Um, the neighbor kid shot him. He was broke off, you know, during rifle season. Um, when the kid shot him, scored 180 inches. Um, wow. so I, I, I have chased some really nice deer, but you know, when I was stationed in North Carolina, you know, other places, you know, I just, 
you know, you, you were able to go hunt, but you know, basically from what I understand, if you saw a hundred inch deer, you, you need to shoot. Yeah. Um, they're especially on coastal Carolina. So, right. Right. So then, you know, what, I guess 2015, this last year was your last, your last year in the core, right? It, it was, it was kind of a crazy year. Um, I made the decision. I was on my last deployment. Um, I was with first uh, battalion, six Marines out of camp Lejeune again, after I finished up recruiting, I went back to North Carolina. Um, I finished up recruiting in 2012. So I got back out to North Carolina, 2012. And I did quite a bit of deer hunting during the deer seasons out there. It's kind of crazy. And I, you know, us being from Midwest, you, you go buy your hunting license and you have to buy a hunting tag there. You buy a, a hunting license and it comes with like six deer tags, a black bear tag and two turkey tags. And that's your hunting license for the year. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I, I did quite a bit of hunting, but it was just, you know, more or less just to be out. Um, and I'm, you know, that big, thick vegetation, uh, it, it was definitely a little bit trickier to learn the patterns of deer because it's flat. You're not really using any type of, you know, topography, right. um, right. to follow the deer movement. So I couldn't quite figure it out out there. I shot a couple of does. I think the live weight of the doe I shot, you have to weigh him in was 75 pounds <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was mature. Uh, I lived in Alabama so I, for about a year and I was coming, I, I worked the night shift. So I was coming back home from the, the factory that I was working in and uh, back to my house and the sun was just coming up and something ran across the road. And I was like, what was that? That was a, a big dog. And I look over, <laughs> yeah, I look over in the ditch and there's this, this doe. It looked like she was 25, 30 pounds. I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's, you know, there's that, there's that difference between the Midwest and the rest of the, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the, uh, uh, the, the nation. But, uh, after, sure. after your last deployment, um, where, I guess, where did you go for your last deployment? Well, we went, it was supposed to be, uh, what we call float where we got on ship. We floated around with the Navy for a while. Um, we got to go to, you know, we started off, it was a great deployment starting off. Uh, we went to Portugal, um, Spain, um, then we went into the med, uh, and then they flew us, you know, to Oman and we did some training in Oman, which wasn't quite as nice as Spain or Portugal. Right. Uh, then we, uh, I ended up, uh, they, you know, recognized the platoon I was in for, uh, an outstanding job and said, you guys get to go to Djibouti, Africa to train for 45 days. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect in Djibouti, Africa. I never heard of Djibouti, Africa, but that place, uh, that place sucked. <laughs> That's probably the <laughs> nicest way I could say it. It was hot. They had a lot of humidity, a lot of mosquitoes, and the terrain was rugged. Yeah. Um, so I got really good going up and down mountains there. But, uh, you know, during this time, I'm making the decision. Up, I have a wife and three kids um, that, you know, maybe it's time to, you know, go do something else. Right. Um, right. And, uh, you know, we ended up going in. You know, I've, I've been to Iraq twice throughout, you know, the other years in Afghanistan. I've been to quite a few other countries, especially in Asia. Um, but when I was on that deployment, the last place I actually expected to go back to was Iraq again. So we ended up going into Iraq and, and reinforcing the embassy there during the big seat, you know, ISIS pushed into Baghdad. And so at that point, I said, yeah, I'm definitely done with this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, six months later in March, um, 
you know, after coming back and getting stuff ready, I, I left the Marine Corps um, and uh, got a job. I got very fortunate to get a job here um, with a uh, company here in Des Moines. Um, and uh, that kind of just solidified my choice, you know, getting back to the Midwest and, and then being able to get back to Iowa. Right, right. So you got some roots now, so to speak. Sure. Yep. Yep. I got a job. Got you know the wife's here. Her family's you know up north, um, but they're still close. Um, but yep, here we are. So my my question is how how old are you now? Uh, right now, I just turned thirty six in December. Okay. So I'm I'm feeling my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thirty. I'm thirty five right now. So. Uh, you've done a lot more with your life, and, and I guess I should say thank you very much for your service. We appreciate that. So now let's talk about deer hunting, all right? Sure. So you sent me you sent me a Facebook message about this story, and you know <laughs> I get a lot of I get a lot of messages about hey you know I the scenario, the way it worked out makes a guy question, well, you had 360 inch deer come by your stand, but you shot a 100 inch deer. What's the story? But then I get not, I get, I get trail camera pictures and I get some footage you took from your cell phone. And like, like you mentioned in the conversation we had before we started recording, no one was, would believe me. So I whipped my phone out. So that's, that's good. I had, you know, to see that. So, um, I guess I want to I want to start at the very beginning and we'll work our way up to this. Um, you know, when you grew up in Kansas, uh, I guess who was the influence? Was it your dad? Was it your uncles? Did you kind of take it up by yourself? Well, that's a great question. So I grew up bird hunting with my dad. We we did a lot of quill and pheasant hunting uh, behind dogs. Uh, that's really all the only hunting he ever did. Um, and as I got older, a lot of my friends, we, they did, you know, did some rifle hunting. You know, no one really got into bow hunting. I, I did have a bow. My dad bought me a bow when I was about 12. I had that interest um, to get into it. But, you know, I'd go out to, you know, my backyard and sling some arrows. Um, and that was about it. Uh, I think it was an old Browning bear. I think that's when Browning bear were still together. Maybe I'm wrong on the name, but, um, uh, you know, and if you go up to 45 pounds at the time, Kansas made sure you, you shot a bow. You, if you're going to hunt, go up to 45 pounds. Right. Um, it was a minimum. Um, so I never really got into deer hunting until probably my, you know, junior year of high school. And then I would go out and do some deer drives and rifle season with, with some guys. And, and it really didn't, uh, you know, take a whole, it was like, okay, that was cool, I guess you know, the guys are shooting like crazy at deer running out of a draw. Yeah. Um, you know, so the deer population are, you know, was obviously great. Uh, it's pretty good in Kansas uh, as it is here in Iowa. Um, but the quail population started just, you know, going away. Um, I'm not sure exactly what happened. If it was, you know, some people claim as, you know, farming practices or wild turkeys or predation, you know, um, and I just kind of, you know, then I joined the Marine Corps right about that time. So I, I got some of the best quail hunting early on in my life um, that, uh, you know, I could have ever asked for. Um, and uh, like I said, I just really wasn't into deer hunting that much. I mean, I, I had the interest to bow hunt, but I just didn't have anyone to really get me into it. Um, until really 2005, when I went to Afghanistan, I, it was 
kind of funny. Laptops were just coming out then, you know, were really becoming, you know, if you're pretty cool if you had a laptop. So I saved up my money <laughs> and bought a laptop. And they had a, you know, I watched DVDs. And this one guy in my uh, platoon, he was from northern Missouri, and he had a whole bunch of, you know, hunting DVDs. I think we had some Primos and some Drury, or, you know, we had a little bit of everything, elk hunting, deer hunting. And these the majority were archery hunts. And we would spend our off time, me and him, just, you know, <laughs> our eyes glued to that computer watching these videos. And it really made time fly by. It gave us something to do, that outlet. Right. Um, so when, when I returned uh, back to Hawaii, I went and found a bow shop in Hawaii, believe it or not. Um, and I, I bought my first, you know, real bow, um, got some vacation time. And went back to Kansas in, in October. I didn't even know when the rut was or really what the rut was. Um, I went back there for 30 days um, after that Afghanistan deployment. Um, got to hunt. Um, you know, I, I had to deer. I, I wasn't full, you know, fledged bow hunter. I, I still was in my mid-20s. Um, so I had a little bit of fire and a little bit of extra activities that weren't necessarily related to deer hunting that would probably affected my deer hunting to wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> Morning hunts um, were a struggle, huh? I, I do know I had a guy hunt with me one time uh, that year and I was in my tree stand. I was like, I got to get down. I'm just going to go to sleep. Um, so I got out of the stand and slept at the base and they swear up and down. I had a deer, you know, a, a nice buck and they never said how big they just, you had a buck come up and smell you and run away. <laughs> and, you know, I can't confirm or deny this as I was, you know, sound asleep. Um, so, so that was kind of the, the beginning, the roots. Um, you know, my friends throughout the years back in Kansas, they've all taken up bow hunting and, uh, you know, it, it just became part of the, you know, the, the thing to do. And then, then soon after it became, you know, the passion, you know, I, all my deployments in Iraq, I, you know, that's one thing I do it at night. You know, some guys watch, you know, movies or anything like that. And I was watching deer hunting shows just to pass the time. Of it. And that's, you know, when you can't do it and all you can do is watch somebody else do it, it makes you want to do it even more. Right. Right. So, you know, after, after your deployment, you'd come back and you now knew that, uh, bow hunting was a passion of yours. Um, yeah. was this in the care when you were in Carolina that you, uh, started getting heavy into it and you started, you know, doing the trail cameras or, or anything like that? It is. Uh, so I bought my first trail camera in 2007 or eight. I can't remember between the deployment. I, I threw it out there. I started getting some pictures of some deer um, back there um, that is, you know, the jaw droppers. I know a guy across the road, literally 300 yards from where my stand's at. He, he ended up shooting a double drop time buck that was over 200 inches. Um, you know, it, these deer are there and I'm just been a kind of an idiot, and, you know, didn't know. I didn't spend enough time. And, and now it starts driving the, the flames uh, about the same time I went on recruiting uh, duty um, in, in 2009, 2010. So really, when I started getting into like food plots, too, you know, what can I do to make the habitat better to increase, you know, 40 acres? How can you hold 40 acres? Um, you know, we have water, we have uh, a lot of big timber. Um, you know, so the obvious choice next is like, okay, give them some food. We have some big ag fields around, but you know, if you can get put those little honey holes into the right places, 
you can get the air blowing through. So I think it was 2011, the first year I actually had a very successful um, year in food plotting. I had um, had five deer that I would consider, you know, over 150 um, that I was chasing. And the biggest one I was chasing, like I mentioned earlier, uh, was a 180-inch buck I called Trash Man. He just had trash coming out everywhere. He was just a gnarly buck. Um, And this was down in Kansas, right? This is down in Kansas. Like I said, I I was in Mason City, and I tried some public ground up there. It just, you know, one thing I've noticed about a lot of places, you know, especially around cities, and I think you guys hit it on it a few times in some of these podcasts, or you know, talking about, you know, if you're close to a city and public ground, it might look great, but there's going to be 20 other dudes hunting, that right. you can't stop them, right? Um, you know, and I, I now that I've gotten a little bit more mature and a little bit more serious about building, you know, I am getting up early and I'm getting in places early. But the other guys, they're, they're not. They're coming in, you know, after daybreak, stopping through pastor's stand. You're like, hey, guy, what's up? You know, I'm going to go ahead and leave now. <laughs> Thanks and, for ruining my day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and so um, I, I would. I, I had, you know, really, you know, I have 40 acres back there, which isn't a lot. But I have a section and a half that basically there's probably three guys that hunt around that area. Um, so it's pretty low pressure. Um, and I can get onto some of that, you know, some more of that around there as well. Um, and I was just seeing some phenomenal deer. Uh, so 11, you know, I almost got it done a couple of times. Um, but I still had not shot a buck with a bow. I've, you know, taken several does. Um, but when you're seeing these 180 inch deer, it's hard to set your expectations and say, you know what, I just need to work my way up. Right. And I think that's kind of the trap I fell into um, is, you know, the Facebook dilemma of seeing these huge deer and it's almost a competition. I mean, guys like to compete and I like to compete like everybody else. Um, you know, like, wow, you know what? I got to go out there and shoot a 200 inch deer. Is that really feasible when I don't have any deer on my wall that I've taken with a bow? Probably not, but you know, it, it's really hard to pull yourself back in when, you know, that's the thing to do. <laughs> right. Right. And it, and, and that is a real thing because uh, I, not necessarily competition with other hunters, but sure. my, my issue was, is I get pictures of all these big mature deer on trail camera and I know they're in the area. So when, you know, uh, one forty five four-year-old 150 class four-year-old comes walking by and i know that there's a you know a seven-year-old 175 inch deer in the same timber somewhere it's for me i need to just black like that's why i think trail cameras can be in a way kind of dangerous because it makes a guy have a thought like that when he doesn't need to have a thought like that absolutely and i completely agree with you there so yeah so so then what? I mean, as you know, as your you, it sounds to me like on your vacations or um, in between deployments, you you would head back to Kansas and try to hunt um, if that if that break was during the the deer season. Um, at that point, how much time how much time could you dedicate to a season before you either had to go back to uh, a base or get deployed again? Sure. So recruiting was a lot easier. And that's, I guess, really when I became, I would classify a bow hunter, even though I wasn't necessarily shooting, you know, big bucks. 
Um, but I got serious about it. Um, and I would, I'm sorry, what was the question? (laughs) No, just when you were, you know, in between deployments, I mean, were you able to dedicate the time to an entire season? So I I would hunt the entire season. I mean, I'd hit early season and I probably overhunt it, you know, and I've heard you talk about it before, you know, putting too much, you know, hunt less, but you know, hunt the right times. And I wasn't, I I was like, I got two weeks to go get the sun. I got to get in there. Right. And I would, I would set the same stands. I saw a lot of deer still setting the same stands, but I know it had some effect looking back. Um, so a lot of times I could, I could probably get away as a recruiter. I could get away with two weeks of vacation. Okay. I could, um, you know, sometimes if I came back from a deployment and it worked right, just like my last deployment, 2014, um, I came back in November, um, timed it perfectly. Um, I started getting some pictures of a huge 10 point, um, typical, beautiful, symmetric deer. Um, I was hunting that deer and it was, it was cat and mouse. I would move to one location. He would be somewhere else on camera and I'm like, God, so I'd make a move again. And I guess that's also where I started changing the way I hunted. I always hunted with the cheap $40 hang on, you know, you know, stands that you can get and, you know, screw in steps and having, trying to have a free place where I knew I would be in decent areas but you know when you're moving that much you're still you know you're looking at that tree and that deer was there i need to be here uh, i got to do something else so i've also adapted more of a running guns type style as well um to use you know like lightweight you know yeah. hang on with with some sticks okay and that kind of brings us up into this uh this 2015 season you know you you get out of the you get out of the Marine Corps, you, you know, you, you move, you kind of settle in Iowa. Why don't you start us off at the very beginning, uh, that summer? Um, what, I mean, were you knocking on doors up in Iowa? Were you, um, going at, at public land, you know, were you going to say, well, you know, I'm just going to head back to Kansas to hunt. What was your, what's your story there? So I put a lot of time into Kansas. I uh, went in, I actually, uh, my friends all laughed at me because I didn't have access to a disc or anything. So I took my mom's garden rototiller out to uh, my dad's place, and I rototilled up about a, an acre and a half of, and I put in some brassicas. <laughs> you know, I did this all in like August. I, I was going full bore. You know, um, take a step back just a little bit. You know, I got out of the Marine Corps on March 6th of 2015. I was in Iowa on March 8th. Um, I got everything moved into my house and I wanted to get down to Kansas. I wanted to shed hunt. I knew there was some big deer there. Um, uh, that day I ended up finding uh, a matching set to a, a deer that a guy on a uh, TV show, um, took on camera from the year before. Um, so I ended up giving him those. Um, and then I, I found a eight point, um, it measures out 65 inches and that's a pretty big eight size. Um, oh yeah. You know, so I'm pretty fired up, I, and I know that big ten still in there. Um, I was just going to find a shed. So I was pretty set on Kansas. I knew I had to spend some time in Iowa. It's, I'm about three and a half hours from my hometown, uh, and from Des Moines to Kansas. And uh, so I did some a lot of public ground scouting. Like, oh, okay, this this is, makes a lot of sense. But I, I kept forgetting the fact that there was just so much pressure. Right. Um, I've never knocked on doors. I guess that's, you know, uh, I haven't 
gotten past that comfort zone as a recruiter. I'd go up and knock on doors all day long, but, uh, you know, doing it to ask somebody to hunt is like, Oh, I'd rather ask them to join the Marine Corps. Than, you know, <laughs> can I, can I hunt your land? Uh, so, so maybe that's something I got to work on. I've gotten access this year to a little bit more than what I've had in the past. Um, but you know, I was concentrating on public and I was like, okay, I got this figured out. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Um, so that summer, like I said, I, I put in quite a bit of work in Kansas. I walked a lot here in Iowa. I'm like, okay, this is going to be the year. I'm going to get something done. Um, I put aside at work, and I started working at this company I'm at now, uh, you know, March 16th. So I had 10 days between getting out of the Marine Corps and going to work for this other company. And, and it was just so quick that I was surprised that they were actually going to let me take time off. Um, but they said, yeah, if you want to take a week off or you know, 10 days or whatever you need during, you know, the summer or winter, go ahead. So, of course, my uh, vacation, once again, fell in November. <laughs> Perfect. So you met, you talked a little bit about uh, you were able to buy before you move, officially moved back to Iowa. You were able to buy a lifetime license in Kansas. Absolutely. So. Kansas is pretty good with its residents and, and being in the military, not knowing exactly where I was going to end up, you know, years down the road. Um, you know, my dad recommended at one point, you know, he's like, Hey, why don't you go ahead and buy a lifetime license instead of your annual license? So that way you can always come back here and hunt, you know, no matter where you end up. Um, so I went ahead and took advantage of that. Um, so, so now living in Iowa, hunting as a resident in Iowa with a lifetime hunting license in Kansas, that's, <laughs> I just got to get Missouri in there somehow. Right. That's a win-win. <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, what are the, in order to get a lifetime in Kansas, what's your, what's the eligibility? Eligibility is you just pay for it. Um, anybody can go. I, I, I did try here when I was a recruiter. Um, cause I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back to Iowa or not, or when I would come back to Iowa. So I, I asked somebody at a store one time, <laughs> so, uh, how much are our lifetime licenses? And they laughed at me. They were like, well, I, I think you have to be like over 65 or something in the state right. of Iowa. Yeah. So it's buy a lifetime. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. Well, Kansas was a lot easier to get, right. but you had to go through the, uh, Kansas department of you know, wildlife to, uh, you know, to get that. Right. Right. Okay. So, you know, you, you had, you had some food plots, you had some, um, deer on, you know, you went shed hunting, you found uh, a couple big sheds. Uh, one of the deer was actually shot, but, um, did you start running trail cameras, uh, that summer or yeah, that summer in order to, to see what was around down in Kansas? And, uh, did you, did, did you run trail cameras on any public ground in Iowa? I ran my cameras in Iowa um, on public ground. Luckily, I didn't lose my uh, my camera. Um, I did have a, a stand hung. They tried like you know hell to take my stand, but I had a lock on. I mean, they beat the crap out of that lock, um, but it, it held just long enough. You know, just me come out there and check on it, but uh, it was still there. Um, I my cameras down in Kansas. You know, July, I didn't get a lot. August, I was down there. My mom one day was complaining that she had all these windsaw apples on the ground. I'm like, oh, okay. So I took them out and I dropped them in front of my camera. And I ended up with about 15 different bucks on camera. Um, I had that big eight that, uh, you know, I found this one of the sides the year before. Um, 
you know, or, or I guess just that spring, um, he was on camera. He was the biggest deer I had on camera. The Big Ten disappeared. Um, but I had that the Big Eight that was on my mind. Um, there were some other tens that would have, you know, that pushed that 150 mark, but that one, that eight was by far the biggest deer. Um, you know, eight points, a hard deer to get a lot of inches out of, but you can tell whether they're mature or not. Right. Did, uh, what were you thinking as an age for some of these bucks on this Kansas piece? That eight, I put about seven years. I have pictures of him from 2011. Um, and I think he would, and if I'm looking right, I'm looking at throat patches. It's hard to distinguish. Is this the same exact deer from 11? Because I have some gaps in there. Um, you know, 12, I didn't get pictures of anything, um, you know, due to EHD moving through this area. I thought the entire herd was wiped out. Um, I didn't get to hunt on in 13. Um, and then 2014, um, I was getting a lot of good pictures. Um, but overall, you know, I would say there, there, there's some four-year-olds, and then I think that eight was, you know, pushing around that seven, eight-year-old range. Um, so, I mean, he was fully mature, and, and that was my number one hit with Buck. I mean, his, his twos are ridiculous. Um, and uh, so I had all intentions of getting going down there. I had him on cameras, you know, all the way up into mid-August, I guess, is when I stopped worrying about my cameras and how I was going to kill that deer because I had them, you know, pegged to the right with those, with those apples. They, they, they really like apples down there. I found out. <laughs> right. Okay. So you're, you know, you start your job in Iowa, it's starting to come to that point where you're going to be able to go ahead and get some vacation time. Now talk a little bit about the weather uh, in the 2015 and, and then kind of, tie that into what made you decide to go down to Kansas and then come back up to Iowa and, and then kind of the story up until the actual day that you ended up harvesting that buck. Sure. So I scheduled weeks in advance and, you know, I was going to take October 31st off all the way to uh, November 13th. So I had quite a bit of time. Um, I, I was going to school full time. So I was working full time, going to school full time and I have a wife and three kids and that is a tricky balance to do. <laughs> uh, um, and she was really understanding. I talked her into taking the kids down to Kansas to trick or treat. That way I could hunt to Kansas that weekend, but we had to get them back to school, um, that following Monday. Um, and then I had some classes I had to do some stuff in. Um, so I think it was around November 3rd or 4th. Um, I, I, I took off, I had a, my truck loaded up. I have, a, I had a tent, you know, I was going to tent camp. I was, I was going to just spend all the time that I could in the woods. I, you know, my parents live from the land. They actually live about, you know, five miles, but I didn't want to waste five miles from their house to the, the land. I wanted to be right there. Um, and so I just spent, you know, months planning this. I went out there, um, uh, I get down there and I'm looking at the weather and it's just crap, you know, Southern winds, uh, 70 degree days. I, I was literally sweating in the, in the stand, um, trying to hunt the, the rut and the rut just wasn't happening. I saw some small does, some small bucks. Um, they seemed to be the only ones doing any chasing. I had pictures of them, the bigger deer. I had pictures of the eight, um, in the same vicinity of where I was setting. 
Um, but it was like two o'clock in the morning, um, not during, you know, visible hours. Um, so I was overly frustrated. I knew I only had till the eighth. I had to be back in Iowa the eighth because I had a uh, test in one of my classes, um, on the ninth, the morning of the ninth. And other than that, I just had to be there for that test. So I came back the eighth, I took the test, um, on the ninth. And I got ready to go back down to Kansas because the weather was starting to change. It was going to get colder in the next couple of days. And I, uh, I called my mom up and said, hey, I'm probably going to come back down. I'll just go stay with you guys this time because I didn't have time to go down there and set up camp again or anything like that. And she's like, oh, before you do that, you might want to know that your uh, father went out to the land with the uh, brush hog on and has been doing a lot of mowing. And my heart's sank because... <laughs> You know, my dad, he likes things to look like a national park. He likes, you know, yeah. to get rid of all the scruggly brush and, you know, all that nasty tall grass. And I'm thinking, you're just wiping out my deer habitat. Right. I just hope he didn't mow my, you know, my food plots while he's at it. Um, you know, Nebraska's don't tend to like a mower going over them. Right. Um, and so I was just, I was beat. I was stumped. Uh, you and Mark on that, that wired hunt that was released that week was the, the dark side of the rut. And that word for word, everything you guys talked about just like struck home with me. I'm like, this sucks. I got to get out of this funk. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had to do some figuring out what am I going to do? I have, you know, literally like three days left to hunt. What am I going to do? All right. So, you did, you, so you, at that point, you decided not to go back to Kansas, right? I, that's right. correct. I, I decided it was probably dad's out there brush hogging and run the chainsaw. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to uh, find a place here in Iowa. Okay. So you live in Des Moines. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Des Moines is the biggest city in Iowa. You know, you're talking about an area where there's a million people in, you know, from downtown, 10 miles in every direction, straight houses, Beigeville, basically. And, uh, and, uh, so you decided that, you know, hunting around the, you know, the, the parks in that area weren't going to cut it. So talk to us a little bit about what you decided to do and, um, what made you decide to do that? So I listened to quite a few of the podcasts here in nine fingers and wired to hunt. And I just remember hearing guys talking about public hunting and some guys you know, on there, I've done public hunting in Iowa. Also, I have another good friend. He's like, you just need to find some place way away from the city. Find a place that people would overlook. You know, if you're seeing a, you know, a public ground with, you know, through, um, through the aerials that is all timber and just like, like there's deer there. Probably not the place you want to go because everybody else and their dad are going to go to the same place. Right. Um, and. So I started doing some research. I didn't know, I didn't really care where it was at. I was just going to go, you know, I had vacation time. I'm just loading my truck up, you know, and I'm going to head some direction. So I got on the Iowa DNR Atlas. Uh, the Iowa DNR does a great job of providing aerial footage of exactly, you know, public parcels throughout the entire state. And you can go on there and, and, and look up where, you know, you, you think it is good and you can go to that place and, and so I just started looking for something that would be overlooked. And, um, and, and in the process, I found a place of, I think it was like 1,800 acres off the top of my head. 
and it was listed as upland, you know, with some, you know, small amount of timber, I think is how it was listed. And I looked at it, and uh, there's a small draw that runs right through the center of this place, and it's about a half mile. The draw is about a half mile from the road. I said, okay, that is where I'm going to go because it's just surrounded by, you know, nothing but grass. Right. And uh, so I put my finger on the map, and I said, that's the place. It was about a, ended up being about an hour and a half away from the point. Okay. So you made your decision. Now, uh, you're, you, you're at this point, you're kind of committed to that one specific, uh, piece of property. Uh, tell us, I mean, did you just get in your car and go, or did you, did you go and scout a day or what was the story? I, I had three days and I was going to hunt. Um, you know, I just, if I see a deer, I'm, I'm going to take a deer and I'm going to be happy. I took a deer because now I'm full blown do it yourself hunt, you know, without scouting. I had no idea what this place looked like. Um, so I woke up in Des Moines that morning at about three o'clock. Um, my wife was nice enough to get up and make me actually something to eat before I left. <laughs> I was on the road by three thirty, um, headed down to Southern Iowa. Um, I think I pulled into the, uh, the parking area for this, this piece of ground about, uh, five, I think it was around five ish. Okay. Um, and I had no clue. I, I kind of had an idea of where I wanted to go and I had it on my, my cell phone. And so I knew the direction I needed to go. I needed to walk down this line and it would end in this place, but I still didn't know what the train totally would look like. Um, what I found out real quick is I went up a little rise and then it just dropped down into this valley and that draw ran through the middle of the valley. Um, you know, and so I'm just, I'm walking in the dark, I'm walking down the hill, and I'm looking at the silhouette of the trees. I'm like, okay, which, that looks like the area I want to be. I picked up the tree, I went in there, and I, I stung my, hung my set, and by the time I was done hanging and getting everything into the tree and getting set down and comfortable, it was it was still pretty early. It was around 6, 15, and so I had a little time to sit there and wait for the uh, sun to break. Um, not even knowing, because I still didn't know what this place totally looked like uh, as the sun wasn't even up yet, you know, when I got into the stand. So it was kind of uh, exciting, you know, at the same time of being in a place that I picked off of a map by looking and, and trying to identify features and pl places of opportunity away from large areas such as, you know, Des Moines or right. uh, something like that. So then as you know, you got, you got out of your truck, you, you, you made your way, it's pitch black, dark, you know, only probably, I take it your headlamp kind of leading the way when you got up in, when you finally got up into the tree and the sun did start breaking, did you say, okay, I'm in a good spot or I got to get out of here and go somewhere else? Well, it, it, the sun came up, I was in a pinch point and the draw. And I'm like, if there's deer moving through here chasing in the you know in the middle of the rut, it's, it's November 10th. Um, you know, this is going to be where it's going to happen. Right. Um, you know, it's just they had it bottlenecked them right and through through where I was at. Um, I had the perfect wind. It just kind of worked out um, that day. Um, and literally, I was sitting there thinking, this place is going to work. And that's about the time I saw, you know, the first year. 
Right. Now, before before we get into that, did you see any other signs of hunters, like any other tree stands, any other guys walking in and out of this property? I didn't see a single sign of anyone around there. Um, okay. I've even been, I've been back to this place, and I still haven't seen any other sign of anyone else ever being into this place. So you're thinking that this particular spot is is maybe overlooked because it is more CRP with just a strip of timber that runs, you know, a couple trees running down this low spot. That was the full, you know, idea in my head. Like gotcha. this might actually work out. Gotcha. All right. So first deer comes through. Um, you you had a gut feeling that you were in the right spot at the right time. Tell us about, you know, the first deer and uh, if it was, you know, what was it a doe? What happened from there? So I actually looked up on the hill. I told you I walked downhill to uh, get to the straw. And I looked right. up kind of halfway um, from the crest to where I was at. And I, I saw a really big body deer. I didn't have any binoculars with me at the time. Um, and I'm like, that deer looks huge. And so I snort wheezed at him and his head just jerked. Um, towards my direction. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is going to happen. <laughs> it's not supposed to work like that. No, I mean, it, it, the sun literally just broke. And I'm like, I've been busting my butt for years to make something that's like a moment like this to happen. You know, after all those years, it's like, you are got to be kidding me. Right. Um, his head snapped and he's, there's about 400 yards of grass and him coming downhill towards me. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was kind of mind boggling. Um, one of my biggest regrets is that morning was cold. It was the first really cold morning that I remember. Um, you know, and I kind of got warm, you know, hanging the stand up and I sat down and had a long time to sit there and cool off. And my hands started getting cold and I usually don't ever wear gloves. Uh, I don't practice shooting with gloves. You know, I've, I've since changed this. Um, but, I threw on a pair of heavier gloves when it was still dark and I still had the gloves on um, when that deer started his way down towards me. And it didn't even cross my mind that I had the, the gloves on my hand were the last thing I thought about. Right. Um, as this deer is closing 400 yards and 300 yards and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get my bow now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so as he got closer, were you able to get a good idea of, what he actually was from an, from an age and size perspective? Age, I would say easily four and a half. Um, you know, without that history of trail camp pictures, it, it's really hard to say once the lady looked mature and you had that sagging gut, right. um, you know, it looks like a beer gut on a man, you know, that's what I really look for. I don't necessarily look at antlers. Um, you know, and this is one of the, the, you know, I've had other encounters with big deer, but this, this one's coming at me. Um, so I'm trying not to really focus on the antlers. He was big. Um, I knew he was definitely a shooter. There was nothing in my mind. And I, I kind of went into that day knowing that, you know what, I just need to get back to the basics. You know, I, maybe I have unreal expectations that Facebook envy that we previously talked about, uh, you know, and I just need to shoot a deer that I'm happy with that I can even grow off of, you know, if it's a, you know, but my first box, 120 inch, 100 inch deer. I, you know, it's it's your first one with a bow, and then and sit your standards higher the next year. 
you know, give yourself some room to grow. Quit having these, I'm going to go shoot a 200-inch deer, you know, mindset and just get back to having fun with, you know, archery is supposed to be a sport. It's supposed to be something you enjoy, you know, deer hunting, you know, you get out there and enjoy being out there. And I was just so frustrated, you know, that I had all these close encounters. I've had all these, I've been in the right place and the right, wrong things happen. And it was getting frustrating and I was starting to lose that drive. And I just came up with the mindset that I was going in that day that, you know what, if I, if I, it makes me happy, do it. You know, right. uh, don't be judgmental on what you're doing. You know, just get back to having fun with it. Right. So now this buck's beelining it to your location and uh, you, you knew he was a shooter. So, and then you, you talked a little bit about these gloves. That's some foreshadowing. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about what happened next. So he's coming. I have my bow. He's at 20. I get a full draw. He doesn't care about me at all. He is coming to the middle of that draw, and he's going to walk right side, broadside of me at 15 yards. Um, he gets to 15 yards. I stop him. He stops on a dime, and I just got a new release, which is changing your gear mid-year is probably the worst idea that you can possibly have, but I was, I was frustrated with shooting a thumb release. And I needed to get back to a, you know, a trigger release. And uh, so I went and got a new release. Um, it was a super sensitive trigger. Um, you know, even shooting without gloves on, uh, you touch it and I think it's going off. Um, so he's coming, he stops, and I go full draw on him. And then I go to move my finger uh, around the trigger. And literally, I launch an arrow two feet above the deer's back. I, I touched it before I was settled in on him and I just sunk. Um, I was like, crap. I, I just blew. And the, the best opportunity that I could ever have wanted. Um, yeah. You know, and I was thinking, geez, you gotta be kidding me. He ran out to 80 yards and back the direction he went. And the, the, that draws kind of had some fingers that shoots out and he went into a finger and it wraps back around to the draw. I thought, you know what? I'm going to give him about five minutes and I'm going to snort wheeze again and see if he comes flying in again. He might not know exactly what just happened. Yeah. So, so what was his body language like? Did he peg you in the tree? Did he ever get downwind of you to get your scent? I, I had a perfect win uh, in my favor. He had no clue what happened. There was a sound he didn't like. He went up to 80, looked around a little bit, and went into the draw. He really just didn't act. He just didn't know what was going on. Okay. So he was a bit confused. All right. So did he ever get all the way out of your sight and to where the point where he disappeared before the next series of events happened? He was completely, when he got back into that finger, I didn't really know which direction he was going. He was completely out of sight. Um, I just knew he was about 200 yards away at that point. Um, and I had no clue what he was doing or if he was even, he could have kept going for two miles as far as I know. Okay. Um, and so, so he's gone at that point. Did you realize, Oh man, I am, I I'm screwed. I, I just ruined my, my best chance or, or were you, were you still kind of optimistic? I mean, what time was it? I mean, where was the sun at that point? The sun was literally just coming up. It okay. was, 
I mean, it was kind of overcast morning, but light was up. You could see, um, but it wasn't, you know, ugh, noon or it wasn't 10. It was like 7.15 okay. um, at this point. So I'm pretty fresh in my hunt. Um, I, I was, you know, to be honest, I was overly deflated. I you know, may have, I've said a few curse words myself, um, but, you know, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm here. You know, I drove an hour and a half to get here. I'm an idiot if I would get down and drive an hour and a half home to sit there and mope about it. So make the best out of the situation you're in. Who knows what else you're going to see. Right. Okay. So then after that, did anything else come come through? Did you rattle? Did you do any calling? Or did you kind of just sit and let things settle down? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so that deer went back into the finger and I was sitting there thinking I gave him five minutes. I didn't want to call out him right away. Um, I mean, I've, I've just read and heard some things that deer have a short memory. Uh, they'll get scared and then give them a little bit of time. They'll calm back down and you can do something else. So I was like, Oh, well, you know what? I'm going to snort weeds again. Who knows? He might come in. Something else might come in. Um, so I snort weeds. And all of a sudden behind me, I hear just coming right through the middle of the draw. I hear, you know, this big grunt. I'm like, okay. And out steps this hundred inch deer. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking, you know what? I just had this conversation in, internally. Have fun. Just have fun. And I was like, I'm just going to shoot him. I'm on public ground on a place I've never been before or scouted. I have no idea what else is here. I'm sure I just missed a great deer, but this one's standing here right now. Right. Um, so I went ahead grabbed my bow, um, drew back. He stopped 20 yard broadside shot, ran another 20 yards, fell over dead in the grass. I'm sitting there, I hang my bow back up and I'm just like, I finally shot my first buck. So knowing, okay, you just shot your first buck. I mean, were you happy? Were you excited? Or did you still kind of have that miss of a bigger deer in the back of your head? The miss is still, you know, I think about the miss all the time. Um, But I was pleased to know that, you know what? I did. I just had fun and and I I was enjoying the moment. I truly did enjoy that moment that it's finally over. Now I can go ahead and and set my sight on something, you know, higher and higher and keep working my way up, you know? Right. Uh, As as I said before, I I don't know why I had that mindset, that Facebook envy, but you know, I think it's something we suffer. Um, You know, and I was just enjoying the moment. I, I was, excited because you know i was going to bring home some uh some back stress to eat that night and uh i was getting ready to get out of the stand and then some other things took place for sure for sure <laughs> so so you shot him you uh i mean you knew he was dead you were kind of sitting there you, you had your bow probably back on the hook let us know what happened then all right so he literally just expired. I mean, I shot him, he ran 20 yards and he fell over and he was done. He was like two or three kicks. So I hung my bow up, um, sitting there and like, Oh, I'm getting ready to text my wife. Like I finally shot a buck. 
Um, she, she's been probably just as frustrated, you know, all the days of leaving her at home to go chase deer and vacations, you know, she was more than ready for me to shoot a, a deer too. Um, right. um, I hear another grunt and this one's even deeper and gnarly. And I just, all I can see is this rack coming through the draw, um, by far bigger than the first year, you know, um, a little bit different characteristic. But he was a, a fully mature buck coming the same path that that little, you know, 100-inch deer just traveled. Okay. And so now I'm kind of in an ethical dilemma thinking, okay, um, this is a, a deer, uh, anyone's dream. You know, you'd be crazy to pass this deer. And I'm looking at my dead deer 20 yards away, and this deer's coming right at me. I'm like, okay, I can't shoot it, but... I, I'm going to go ahead and take some video of it. So I start filming this deer uh, as he's coming through uh, on my cell phone. And it's kind of, kind of shoddy work, but uh, yeah, I was making the best out of what I could. And I heard a grunt behind him. And that first deer that I shot at is actually literally 20 yards behind this other big. So, so I have 260 inch deer walking by my tree stand <laughs> and I'm looking at a dead deer 20 yards away. That. <laughs> like babies compared to these two mature bucks oh my god that's kind of like a kick in the nuts but at the same time hey <laughs> you you just shot the very first buck that you ever shot so that's a yeah. good thing as well so i literally sat there in the stand and i was kind of giggling to myself like you gotta be kidding me like this is just irony you finally let yourself just have fun and now you have you know, two hundred sixties. You know, if I would have passed on that hundred inch deer, would, these, would this have even happened? You know, it's right, just... right. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that happens. Uh, that 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 happens. I remember one year, I uh, I I shot. I think it was two thousand eleven. I ended up shooting a a pretty decent buck. It was like a it was a seven pointer, but it was a, a big seven pointer. It it had a regular four point side and then two or was it a six? No, yeah, seven pointer because the brow of the brow time, but it was a four point on one side and then a giant three point side. So uh and then the next day I go out to take down a tree stand, but while I'm out there I decided, hey, I'm just gonna sit and bring my video camera and uh, I look up on top of the hill, and there's a 190-inch typical 12 walking, <laughs> walking across the top of the ridge. I'm just like, are you? I didn't even record it. I don't. I don't know why. I was just swearing at myself, like, oh, you could have, you could have, you know. I didn't even have my bow with me or any calling equipment or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, that happened. But I, I totally feel your pain, and uh, but at the same time, you just laid down your very first buck. You're you're happy, and uh, now. You're, you got, like you said, you got some roots in Iowa. Are what? Are, what's your goal for the 2016 season? Um, two things, honestly. Um, have fun. Number one, you know, don't put so much pressure. Don't compete with other people. You know, and I think that's one of the things that you know I struggle with is I see somebody else, you know, that just shot you know a huge deer, and I'm thinking, you know what, I want to do that too. But that happens in time. It doesn't happen just overnight, you know. So, right. so just have fun. Uh, and two, you know what? Go out there and take the best beer that I possibly can, you know, and, and grow from where I finished last year. You know, if it's a little bit bigger, you're great. You know, um, I, I'd be more than satisfied with that. You know, if it's 200 inches, I'd, I'd be even more happy. But, you know, once again, I'm just going to have fun. 
And uh, so I think that's overall my goal is just having not necessarily such a serious attitude about it, hunt hard and enjoy hunting. That's really what I want to get to this year. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I tell you what, Nate, thank you again for your service and thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Thank you, Dan. All right. There we go. Thanks, Nate, for coming on the show. We really appreciate uh, not only your service in the Marine Corps, but uh, taking time to come on and record this podcast. And that kind of brings something to my mind, and that is it's very simple to tell a veteran thank you, whether it's a recent veteran or a veteran from Vietnam or Korea. You know, any any veteran who has served a handshake and a thank you goes a very long way. And uh, if you've never served, I feel that it's part of our, you know, duty as civilians, I guess you would say, to, to, to thank them. So again, Nate, thank you for your service and for coming on the podcast. Also, I want to say thank you to Exodus Outdoor Gear, Exodus Trail Cameras. Again, if you guys haven't had a chance to check out those trail cameras, I strongly suggest you do, and you can do that at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you do decide to purchase a trail camera, enter the code at checkout, nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, and you'll receive $20 off of your purchase. Last but not least, 2% for conservation. I know uh, you're going to start hearing this more often in this podcast. Uh, So hopefully you guys will take the time to go to fishandwildlife.org and uh, check out uh, what 2% for Conservation is all about and uh, pressure the companies that you buy outdoor equipment from to join 2% for Conservation because that forces them to give back to an industry that we, so we as hunters, love. And uh, I'm jibber-jabbering now, but uh, it's very important. So next time you're in a tree, wear your damn safety harness.